You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. Welcome to the seventh installment of the Curated by Podcast. Coming in today from the Mez in Breda. My name is Martin, and we are delighted to welcome none other than Jack Stevens, also known as Workforce. Yeah, hey, okay. how are you? How are you? How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, this gentleman used to make up one half of the now culminated legendary duo Spectrosol. Since the termination of this collaboration, he has focused on his own solo ventures, releasing under his own moniker Workforce. And he will be releasing his first solo album on the 22nd of May, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, May? That's yeah. soon already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm really nervous about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So before we get into the thick of it, uh, we would like to start off by asking you 10 quick fire questions, which you have to answer with the first thing that pops up in your mind. Oh, okay. Uh, my mind shall, is run- shall, my- we, shall we alternate? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. My mind is slow today, so it might take me like <laughs> running on fumes. Before we start, we have uh, uh, not ten this time, but twelve quickfire wow. questions you have to ask. Uh, with the first thing that pops in the into mind, um, the first question: best back-to-back experience. Um, shit. Um, best back-to-back experience. Gig, best back-to-back gig. Uh, I'm gonna give. Can I give two a couple of answers? Yeah. Sure. Go so ahead. I played with Galaxy recently, and that was unexpectedly really fun. Um, best back-to-back experience, probably playing with Alex Perez at the end for like Renegade Hardware or Shogun back in, in the day. The end. Yeah. Oh, wow. Probably that was like ten years ago at least. <laughs> so yeah. And uh, what time? I think it was a good set time. I yeah. think we played uh, we played back to back with Alex. I think at the last Renegade Hardware at the end with MCID. The set is on YouTube. I think it's quite good. Um, yeah, but obviously in Spectre Soul, I played back to back quite a lot. Yeah, because there was two of us. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> always fair play. Yeah. Okay. Second um, question: oddest thing to ever happen during a set? Um. God, there's a compendium of answers here. Um, I have witnessed fights, uh, people getting their tits out. I've seen an unknown DJ, like, basically with his hand down his partner's crotch while I was DJing. Um, (laughs) It was quite weird. Yeah, nothing springs to mind other than those. (laughs) Those are quite odd, if I may say so myself. Uh, Best cuisine. Oh, that's tough. I love food. Um, Jamaican, probably. Mm, Jerk chicken. Can wake me up. Biggest musical inspiration outside of drum and bass? Um, D'Angelo. Okay. Rising star of the future uh, in in drum and bass? As the FM. Ah, yes. Sun and bass or Outlook? Sun and bass. Metal I love head? both. Oh. I love both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> Metalheads or reinforced? Metalheads. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between events in Holland and the UK? <sighs> there isn't actually a huge difference, you know. I would say maybe people in Holland like a harder sound. Mm-hmm. But event-wise, I wouldn't say... I think maybe the venues are slightly different. I mean, the venues I played in Holland are more like theatre ven- like not theatre venues, but they tend to have a stage. Yeah, I can't remember playing many clubs in Holland, but a lot of a lot of venues like that, like Paradiso, Melkweg, yeah, and yeah. even this one we're in now. Yeah, but not. I wouldn't say much different. Do you think they're different? 
Uh, depends on because when you do a party in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you get fifty percent <laughs> people from UK really? in, in the crowd. Yeah, well, that will uh, make it. That will make it like you gigs in the UK. Then, yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the same. But maybe in Breda, it's uh, yeah, you experience it. What I, what I think is a big difference is that the general crowd is a bit older in the UK. Older. Yeah. Well, and at least in the heads of events. Mm. Okay, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And here in the Netherlands, they're more like 18, 24, mm-hmm. where in, whereas in the UK, you're more like 25. Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, working as a duo or solo? Solo. Although there's benefits of both um, that I wasn't totally... I thought it was all upside when I went solo, yeah. but there's lots of downsides too. Yeah, you're a single point of failure when you're. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so. exactly. Um, I, I jumped to say solo then, and I still believe that, but only just. Okay. Um, Brighton or London? Brighton. Best rave ever visited. Um, probably again at the end. Probably like the old Shogun parties at the end in 2000. Six, seven, eight. They were unbelievable. Is that venue still around? No, it's gone, unfortunately. It's closed. Uh, What job would you have when you didn't have a music career? I'd probably be doing graphic design or motion design or something arty. They're not that dissimilar, I don't think. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, the Created by Podcast is about past, present and future. Let's go back to, to your past. Where did you grow up? Brighton. Brighton. Yeah, born and bred. In the city or surrounding areas? City. But Brighton's quite small, man. Mm. It's like, um, there are surrounding areas, you know, there's like towns outside of Brighton. Um, But it's still quite, it's very much its own thing. Um, And everything's walkable. You walk everywhere. You don't really need to drive. So I only learned to drive like five years ago. Um, Yeah, lived there till I was 21. And I moved to London to go to university, stayed there for like six years, and then moved back. I've been back in Brighton now five and a bit, six years. Um, yeah, it was formative, because drum and bass scene in Brighton when I was coming through was huge. Like, yeah, It's not quite that anymore. Are there any big names from Brighton? Friction. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Prototypes. Who else? Uh, Dismantles from Brighton. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what else do I want to say? You've got Overview now. Yeah. Who are on the Yeah, on they're the set up down there. Um, yeah, those are the main ones I can think of off the top of my head. And are you from a musical family? I would not. Well, yes, but not in the sense of playing instruments. Like my dad, I guess in the traditional sense, not playing instruments. My dad was a percussionist when I was growing up, so he was playing in bands, jazz bands, Afro-Cuban, uh, salsa, no, salsa, Brazilian bands and stuff. Um, and he had very eclectic music taste and a big vinyl collection, so I always grew up around music. He'd always have records on. Um, kind of music? That kind, like that, also, that, also really broad, like really broad. Um, lot, I, the main one I remember is like Afro-Cuban. Yeah, Gumbia. Yeah. yeah. Um, jazz, blues. All sorts. I just remember he'd always, he was always listening to music and it was always really diverse. Like he, he got me into drum and bass, I guess, because he, he was a teacher at the time. And I remember he came back with like a CD and it was like a Mickey Finn live set. And I'd never heard a live set before. I'd only heard tracks in 
their own right, you know, like Ronnie Sires represent or, you know, the music as it is, not within, not placed within the context of a rave. So when he came home and like his student had given him a Mickey Finn CD, you obviously hear the crowd and the MCs and you can hear it as an event. And so that was the beginning of like my journey into that it's, style it's of music. Nice. Yeah, that was quite early. That was like probably, I was probably 14, 15. No one at school liked it. No one at school, no one. Um, no one I knew was into it. I got, what happened was I got into it and then all of my friends around me got into it. I've had the same experience. Not, not just not just because of me, but because obviously as you get a bit older, once you get to 18, the variety of music available, particularly in Brighton, was, was very drum and bass heavy. There was no sort of UK hip hop scene then. There was still a bit of sort of garage about, I guess, because it was that era. And then you had like cheesy house club nights, but no, you didn't really have like the house scene that we have now, which is a bit more refined, I guess. Um, but huge drum bass scene in Brighton. So we were just going out once, twice a week. Yeah. Um, from like young as well, like 16. Yeah. 16. Yeah. Just like fake IDs. That's the life, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but Brighton is fat boy slim city. True, true. Were you at the big rave on the beach I where was. People, people died there? Eh? They did. I was 15, I think. Yeah, that was a good one actually. It was. I remember it vividly. people on the Yeah, beach. I remember it vividly. I remember. I remember you couldn't see the stage where I was at all. I couldn't see it. But you could hear the music. You, all you could see was people's heads, top of people's heads, and you could see a faint dot in the background. Um, I think we were there because it was an event, not because we were there for the music. Just yeah, because yeah, we yeah. knew it was going on, and there was like, yeah, that many people. And uh, people died because the tide came in, and people got pushed into the sea. Mm. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I, the thing I vividly remember, there's two things I vividly remember about that night. One is my, one of my good friends uh, breaking up with his girlfriend and being very upset, like on his knees in the, on the beach. <laughs> I won't name any names. Um, I vividly remember that. And another thing I vividly remember is how busy the walkway was to get anywhere. And one guy, this guy just grabbing another random person and headbutting. Okay. Didn't, didn't know oh, who it was. Just like, blue. headbutt, like, and this person just going down, and then everything just carrying on, like screaming. It was just random. How many people yeah. were there? You said hundred thousand. One hundred thousand on the beach. Yeah. yeah. And you remember I said to you earlier how many people live in Brighton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's three, four hundred thousand people live there. The city, in town. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, lots of people would have come from the surrounding areas too to come in and go to that event. Um, yeah. <laughs> for like, he did another one, didn't he? You know, not that long ago. Um, but I think it was a bit more controlled. Yeah, more organized. Than, yeah. Was it a free event? Yeah. yeah uh, that, that, it was sponsored by, it was like sponsored by, I think you had to buy tickets to be like down the front and the rest of it was just like, I don't even think there was sound system that went all the way back, but I don't think we were there for that. I think it was just because we knew that that was going on and everyone was like drinking on the beach, you know. I think it was around, it might have been the same weekend or at the same time as like Gay Pride, which is quite, I could be getting that wrong, but I remember it being a whole day event sort of thing. So, and back to your teens, you mentioned that you got into drum and bass to 13, 14 years old. Did you start making music straight I away? Was, or I was making music um, probably around that time using like very rudimentary software. Probably like I started off with like Hip Hop EJ and I remember my friend had Hip Hop EJ on his computer. I remember because the computer was like tucked in under the stairs the stairs came down and there was just this little computer table under the stairs and we used to, I used to go around <laughs> probably a bit like a bad friend but just be like can I use your computer can I use the computer can you use you know and I was just constantly wanting to 
um, write music. And I remember for Christmas, I got like a copy of it for my home PC and I was just obsessed. And I would make CDs, like compilations of other people's music, put my music on there and then I'd like design the covers and print them and then like cut it and put it in the CD. And and then I just progressed through like learning um, different DAWs. What, what, what software did you use in the beginning? I started, so I think my progression was Hip Hop EJ, Fruity Loops, Reason, and then Logic. And I'm still on Logic. Fucking hate it, but I'm still on Logic. <laughs> it's hard to switch um, those, right? It, it, it's, yeah. it's hard to switch. Um, yeah. It was a long transition as well. Like, I mean, you, you, know, you might have heard me talk about this on my podcast, but I don't think it's that important. Yeah. I don't think so. No. What you use? Yeah. It's just a tool. Yeah. It's your creativity. Mm. That's important. Yeah. So what was the first when was the first tune you thought like, okay, this is this is something? Um first tune that I'd heard. Oh the, that you produced. Alright, oh, shit. Um I did so when I, I used to have a really terrible DJ name that I won't say. Ah. Uh because it's on. really <laughs> bad. Um, but I remember I produced this tune which was like sampling an Eric Trufaz record. He's like a, I think he's quite big in France. It's like jazz, but the tune was like uh, at sort of almost drum and bass tempo, but it had this amazing piano and bass sample. And I did made this tune and I gave it to a few local DJs and you know they were like playing it and I was like, oh, okay, there's I mean there's something here. Probably the most terribly produced tune you've ever heard. Um, I, and obviously I didn't get any recognition at all individually at that point. It was only when I met Dave and then we started writing tunes together as Spectral Soul that things started to happen in like 2004, five, five, 2005. You met him in Brighton? I met him, no, I actually met him at, he was. He used to run events at, at the Egg Club in London yeah. and he used to run an event with his friends called Reprise, no, Repercussion. It was called Repercussion, and they had Four Hero, like Doc Scott, Friction Back-to-Back, -back, Randall, and SP. I remember a load of us went up in a minibus from Brighton. Um, uh, yeah, it was carnage. <laughs> minibus dr drove all the way up through central London to King's Cross, and then when the event had finished, got back in the same minibus and drove all the way home. And I, met, I remember meeting Dave out in the, on the patio and, and being introduced by a mutual friend at the time and him being like, oh, this guy's making some cool sort of liquidy music and you make cool liquidy music. Let's... And then Dave lived in Brighton but was doing events in London. So when he got back, we just started working together at that point. So were you, were you a real raver? Did you, yeah. did you go to many events <laughs> in the start? Yeah. Yeah, was it mainly in Brighton, or did you go to other cities? Yeah, we, as well? Um, well, lots in uh, quite a few in Brighton. So there was a lot of events in Brighton. We used to have an event called Dark Light. We had an event called Legends, the Dark Black, which was a bit more jump uppy. We had Devotion, which was a bit of everything. Um, God, we had Devastate. We had this other night called Ships on the Thursday night. Anyway, there was, there was loads, and then you'd have the odd people popping up doing one-off shows here and there, so there was loads of drum and bass, and we used to just go to all of it. Like, literally all of it. This is when tickets were, like, less than a fiver. Yeah. And you just... I was looking through some old lineups that I was on as, like, a support DJ in, like, the mid-2000s, 
And it, one of them was like supporting Pendulum and the ticket price was five pounds. Five pounds? My <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> In like a 300 cap venue as well. Absolutely mad. Did you get a fee? Or nah, I think, no. I, just got, I think I just got some beers. <laughs> I think I literally probably just got beers, yeah. But at that point, I was so keen to play. I just wanted to play all the time. Um, yeah, I'm still like, I still see sort of like, there's this promoter that I played a couple of shows for in Brighton who I saw at the Concord in Brighton a few months ago. Um, and I hadn't seen him since I was, you know, doing it for a living. It's quite nice to see him again. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of interlocked a bit with some of the bright, what's going on in Brighton, but there isn't, Brighton's a bit fucked and dead. I don't know. It's a bit, bit, it's a bit weird. Yeah. At the moment, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's two, Concord and the Volks are still good, good, mm. good venues. Yeah. Um, but it's, it all just feels a bit odd. It has done for a few years in Brighton, yeah. That's weird, yeah. Mm. I haven't been there yet. I really no. want to go though. Well, I mean, you've had Bristol, which is like yeah. where it's really happening. You That's know? true. Yeah, it's re- you know, I've had a good taste in my yeah. <laughs> of the the UK drum and bass scene, definitely. Yeah. And, and when you go back in, in a, to the beginning years when you were making music, who were your heroes? Who were you looking up to? Uh, so I guess I, I guess when you start out, what's funny is when you start out, like I was so so in love with dr- just drum and bass that I had heroes within drum and bass like Caliber and. Break, um, Goldie, TB and Calyx. Um, comics, I guess, were a few years ahead of us. Just love comics music, you know. Um, and obviously the obvious stand-up people, you know, your Doc Scots, um, all yeah, the Metalhead stuff, Dillinger. Yeah. Um, yeah, and even more obscure, like I was I was an avid record buyer. I, bought, I used to buy so many records. When I was young, I spent all my money on records. You still have them? No, I sold I sold like 600 records for 100 quid. Oh, really bad. Yeah, I know, right. terrible. I know. That's a shame. <laughs> Most of it was shit though. Um, I've still got all my signature and metalheads and Solar records and like the ones that I still have an att- personal attachment to. Yeah, the precious ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously as you move through, I guess as you move through, you're less inspired by people in, in the genre that you're in and more by people outside. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, you've been producing for a while. Um, when would you say, uh, when, when, would, when did you realize that you had a feeling for, for music, like producing music? Was, uh, was the road to success for you uh, bumpy or was it smooth? Um, it's hard to say. I, I, I mean, I, I said this to my partner the other day that when I, generally if I set my mind to something and I go towards, and, and, I, and I set a sort of goal, I tend to get there in a roundabout way, and I know that sounds really cocky, but um, it's not—it's not so much cockiness as much as like I'm going to work really fucking hard to make this happen. Yeah. And it's—I would say with me that it's not like—I I would say it's a mixture of ability and, and and drive, not just pure ability and not just drive. It's like a lot of it was in the early days working a job from midday till eight, eight at night and then going straight to the studio and working 8.30 till four in the morning and then back to work like every night of the week at like 16, 17 years of age. Um, and that work ethic just stayed with me. I think most of it most of it wasn't just going, I've got a talent. It's more just like, I've got the ability here to make this yeah. work because of my work ethic, work ethic, my influences, what I, my vision of what I want to do. Um, 
and all of those things combined, I guess. Yeah. I, w I wouldn't say like I'm the most, I'm, I'm musically talented uh, more than anyone else. I just have, I'm, I've got a, like, when I have a vision, I just have a way of making it yeah, yeah, yeah. come to be sort of thing. Yeah. So, of course, you've been scouted way back when mm. for your first releases. Do you remember who that was? That, I mean, again, this has to, Dave has to have some credit here. That, so Dave was really good friends with Friction at the time. Uh -huh. Anyway, before I even met, before I even knew this, um, I, me and David started making tunes together and then it turns out he was pally with Friction. Um, it was a natural progression because of the amount that we were working together to, for that music to go to Friction first. Dave also had a relationship with Kazra, so we did some the, the, the early Spectral Soul stuff with Critical. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't an, a normal trajectory. I wouldn't say. I'd say a lot of it was networking and being in the right place at the right time in terms of that networking. So it was when Shogun was just starting. He, they, they'd done like one or two releases, and then he wanted to start Shogun Limited. He saw that we were doing some stuff together that would work to build that platform. And then that, yeah, and it just went from there. And again, it was just like hard work and networking. Big ups, Ed. Hey. Big ups, Ed. Yeah, big up, Ed. Do you remember your first release? Yeah. Which one is it? It was, um, fuck. Tempest Dub and In My Arms on Shogun Limited in 2006. Uh, yeah, 2006, I think. Is that right? I think so. You got yeah. the answer? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was the balance between you and Dave as a duo? Um, Dave was really, really, really good at finding good samples. And he was like meticulous at finding good samples and knowing what to do with them. And he was really good at like, you'd come in and he would have found a new sample and chopped it in a certain way that you could make a new tune. Um, and he was uh, he was good at the details and like the, the bigger picture stuff, like seeing, bit, knowing what was needed to be added to music to, to tracks you were working on. Whereas I was quite like, I, we always used to joke about this when we were together. So like when we met, he could never finish any music, and I always finished music too too quickly. Yeah. So it wasn't I was never paying that much attention to the detail. And that's definitely something that over the time that we worked together, I learned and I took that into my project now where I'm really aware that I have the, my, my normal thing is to go, that's done. And now I have to go back and go, but what detail is missing? What So you have more patience attention? now? It, well, patience, but also um, I think when you're younger, you're a bit more like cocksure of yourself. You're just like, this is done. And, and but often, but now you know that when you feel that way, Sometimes you need to leave it for a while and then come back to it and then go, mm, maybe it's not actually. Like It needs a bit more... Yeah, with a fresh pair of ears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What year was it? 20, 2006. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, I lit it up. And, yeah. how do, and how do you feel, feel the gap now? Now you, you are on your own? Um, well, or have you learned uh, from Dave uh, his qualities and now you're more... I wouldn't say I've learned Dave's qualities. I know, I know for sure the thing, the weaknesses in my process, and I guess it's, I guess the one thing I would say to expand upon the answer I gave to you earlier about whether being in a duo or being uh, solo is better. Um, it's you're constantly having to be honest about how what's working and what's not in your own process, and also not having another person or another set of ears who's saying this is good. 
you're constantly battling with the confidence or, or doubt as to how good what you're doing is. Um, but it also, it, it also comes with a certain amount of flexibility as well that Dave and I never had in the sense that um, when Dave and I worked together, we would both be working on Spectrosol full time, mm -hmm. all the time, lots of studio. And, and maybe it wasn't as rigid as I'm remembering, but I remember it being like everything was very Spectrosol focused. Whereas now, um, if I don't fancy doing workforce for a, a day, I just won't. Yeah. And I'll do something else. Like yeah. I'll um, read a book, watch a video, um, look for a source of inspiration that can help. And also just do some other stuff. Like I've really got into this animation thing I've been doing for a couple of years. Um, with the label, I'm now thinking about artwork ideas quite a lot and trying to make those happen. Or I'm watching some sort of tutorial about how to learn something new in Illustrator or on After Effects or whatever. So there's a bit more flexibility there. Um, I, I guess I didn't feel I had before to do other things and to, to think about other ways to make money. Yeah. And get by, I guess. Did you work on solo tunes while you were a duo as well? No. Because they would often, the ideas that were made individually would often get pulled into the Spectral Soul mm -hmm. pot and they'd either be finished together or they wouldn't be finished together and they'd just be like my tune or Dave's tune that yeah. came out of Spectral Soul sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, no is the answer. Yeah. What, what, what do you think that makes the Spectral Soul sound Spectral Soul? That's such a difficult one to ask I about know. a person because it's for other people to decide mm -hmm. because there's been countless times where people have said things like, oh yeah, I could tell that was you. And I'm like, how? Like what What distinguishes this from, particularly about tunes that I think are like unremarkable, but not in the sense of like not being good because I didn't, I did believe in them, but sometimes unremarkable in the sense of could be by any other person or not any other, but maybe three or four other people. So, I would, so it's and even now with the workforce music, people I think can recognise my sound, even though it's quite broad and diverse. Yeah, um, you can and, say I, and I'm not and I'm not sure how they do. It's a bit different from the spectral soul sound, yeah. like the workforce. Sound. I hope so. Yeah, definitely. I know there's going to be some of that DNA in there. Of course, it's, it's, it's part of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's impossible not to be. Yeah. Um, and my influences and and what I want to do are only slightly different, really. I feel like towards the end, Spectral Soul got put in a box that I didn't ever like. Mm -mm. I didn't ever like that feeling of... Being put into a box. Yeah, yeah. being told, or, be, or like people reacting like, oh, make more of that, or like do more of this, you know. And I feel like we sometimes we, we took paths and made decisions that reinforced that box. Yeah. Instead of going, actually, no, we're not. I don't want to do that. And that's how I feel now. I've got more control to... I've got like this sort of like... Um, destructive streak in me that wants to break things uh, even when they're going well so if something you know if if I release a tune that does well I almost don't want to do that again I want to I want to do something else yeah yeah I get what you mean because not not destroy it but almost like challenge all the time reinvent it yes yeah. sort of but just not I guess just not pander to something that's gone well before like an audience that's re been yeah. receptive before yeah I get that so what tune the spectral soul tune you think do you like the most do you have any fond memories to specific tunes uh, yeah quite a few um, light, in, light in the dark mm. Classic. Um, 
Alibi. Second Chance that was more recent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we did like some of the stuff we did on this chat. I was quite proud of the old melodies on Exit. Obviously, the the, the Guardian on Metalheads. Yeah, I mean they're really obvious to be honest. Yeah. Glimpse with D Bridge, you know, there was they're the ones that stand out. And then and the thing is, I've always I've always had soft spots for tunes that other people don't necessarily like as much. Same with Workforce music. Like some of my favorite Workforce tunes are ones that people don't really give a shit about. You know. Um. Yeah, you you are and were part of uh, a new wave of uh, drum and bass producers, mm-hmm. um, such as Alex Perez, Rockwell, Icicle, the kind of guys. Um, do you still feel connected with them? Absolutely. Um, like I said to you before, I'll, re- I'll repeat for the podcast. <laughs> um, we came through at like roughly the same time as Alex, maybe a couple of years after, like behind him in terms of the Shogun story. Um, and he still has a unique ability now when he sends me music or when I hear his music to feel a certain way like fuck <laughs> fuck he's gone and done a really good one again and I've got I feel like it's like a challenge I know Alex is in like a league of his own mm. and I, I'm not I'm not pretending like I'm I'm competing or like up there with him but obviously we've been going as long as each other and so there's a certain connection on that front and obviously like I've known him so long I know him really well I know what he's about, and he's, you know, like again, like I said to you before, categorically one of the most talented, not just drum and bass producers, but producers, you know, work with him loads of times. When you see the way he works and how, you know, how he gets shit done, it's even more like, you're like, yeah, this guy is like really fucking talented and really able to not get in his own way and just get from concept to completion without being too much too overtaken by like thought or like worry just like this is cool we're doing this and just so yeah it's like a friendly competitiveness um, or like a way that he sort of triggers me with what he's doing <laughs> yeah, the, we've got a word for that in Dutch it's compilega what does that mean? it's like your competitors but you're also colleagues yeah yeah yeah, yeah but it, I mean it, I, I think without competition you're well, you have to have it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's healthy. Ideas. It keeps you, yeah. it keeps you sharp. Yeah. If, as soon as you think you've cracked it and you're like the best thing, you're, you're fucked, I think. You have to constantly think. I, I can't remember what I saw the other day, but I saw a thing where someone said, you need to constantly have in the back of your mind that um, you can do better or that you're not, and remind yourself that you're not the shit and that you can always improve. There's always yeah. scope. Because as soon as you go, this is amazing, I've cracked it. That's when the progression stops. Yeah, but you haven't chosen for the easy road because you build up Spectrosol mm. and then you quit Spectrosol and you have mm. to build up Workforce again. Mm. Like other producers uh, like Alex and and and, uh, and Rockwell, yeah, they built 20 years on a name. So um, do you regret starting over again? No, not at all. What have, what have you done different compared to starting with with uh, Spectrosol? Well, it's like, I guess if you, well, we did Spectrosol for 12 years, maybe more, 13 years. Imagine do, doing a job for 13 years and then you go and start your own business. You're not going into it with, you know, you, you're going, you're starting again, but with a whole load of knowledge and experience. Yeah. So like, I know how that, how it works. 
When I went in, I had no idea how everything worked in, in like the drum and bass, bass world. The drum and bass game. Let, let alone like the music scene, you know. And now I have an understanding of what I enjoy doing, what I'm good at doing, what I'm not good at doing, how the, how the game works, like you said. Um, and with more of a vision, um, like I said about not wanting to be put in a box as Spectre Soul, um, that being the MO, that, that being the thing, like, moving forward. And, and also, like, I think when you, when you say it in those terms of, like, having built something up for 20 years and then starting again, I think that kind of places it in, like, the context of, oh, you had a thriving business here and you decided to, to not do it anymore. But ultimately, yeah, yeah, I did have, it was, you know, I earned all right, not great, not, not shit. Um, but ultimately, do you want to do something that you're not like entirely happy doing or fulfilled doing and earn all right? Or do you want to have a Be punt? happy. Yeah, well, just take a punt on yourself. Yeah. Ultimately, like I could earn less money or it doesn't really matter to me. It's more like the control, the artistic expression part of it. And yeah, being content, happy, being able to be like make my own destiny and pick and choose what I do not, and not have to do that by committee of two people. Um, and, and the name you've chosen, Workforce, <laughs> how did that come about? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I, I could show you, like I've got a short list, I've got a list on my phone. It's like maybe 200 yeah. phrases, words, you know, like there was a point where I can't remember whether I was going to call myself Must Make and the, and the label was going to be Workforce. There was a point where, because they both had to be named at the same time, because I, I, my first release as Workforce was on my own label. Um, and I think it just comes from, both of them hint at work ethic, you know, at like, at a compulsion to be making and be creating and to be doing something all the time. Like I'm ter I'm, I can't sit. I sh I'm, I'm shit at sitting still. Like if I, even on those days where I'm tired on a Monday after gigs, I, I find it very difficult to sit still on a Monday. Like I'm not feel doing guilty. It. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. And um, I come home in a shit mood if I haven't achieved anything in the day. Even if I've gone to the studio and I've come home with nothing, I can be in a really shit mood. So there's like this compulsion just to just to be making. And they're both those, I wanted to get inside that. That's not, that's not always fun. No, like, no, it's not at all. But who, whose job is always fun? Uh, there's no job. No, but I mean... That's part of the job, right? Not less fun days. But I, I feel like you can't have good days without having bad yeah. days, because otherwise you're just having loads of average days. Yeah. You have to have the sort of peaks in the truck. We have to have the, the good days to recognize the bad and the bad days to recognize the good. And when, when is your job not a job? When is it pure passion? When, when everything's flowing in the studio, when it, when everything's coming together in the studio, and it's usually not work, then it just feels like flow. Yeah, yeah. it feels different. Yeah. yeah, it just feels like things are happening. You're not really in control of it so much, um, but things are starting to come together. Yeah, it's hard to say. That's a good, that's a good question. When is a job? When is my job not a job? I feel yeah. I think when you. I think when you generally enjoy what you do for the most part because I, th I mean I would argue this but 
I think most of it is problem solving, and that's the way I think about it. With music, with design, with releasing music, most of it is just problem solving. So, yeah, that's when it's fun when you solve when you're solving problems. But when you hit problems and you have a shit day and you're not getting over them, you come home and you go, oh. yeah, they feel <laughs> you know, extra, like, extra rough. Yeah, yeah. And I put that much pressure on myself, so it makes it worse. And I'm working on not being quite as bad at that. Is it easier when you grow older? Easier, I'd be so. more specific. Yeah, less stressed? No. Um, no, less, I less mean, demanding? You're, you're literally, you're asking me this question, just to give some context to anyone listening in like two years time, in March of the year after I completed an album where it was the most difficult thing I've ever done on my own, like most difficult project I've ever done. Um, so... Easier, it's more rewarding. Mm. I wouldn't say it's easier. It's harder, if anything. Um, I guess, I guess, I wouldn't say like passion, the passion diminishes as you get older. I would say that um, your energy is not quite as full on as it was when you're like in your teens or early twenties. You know, when you really got that bit between your teeth to make stuff happen. Um, It's just different. I wouldn't say it's harder, easier. It's just, it's just different. I can and and with it's like that old saying like hindsight's a wonderful thing. You always look, you can look back and think about things differently. But it's just different. Yeah. And the process of making the album mm -hmm. that was joy and frustration. Yeah, both. both. At the same time. Um, well, it's kind of a weird process, really, because. It's joy when you're in the creative stage, real, real night, like real fun. When you're when you're in a, a a zone where you maybe get it'll either be two or three days or two or three weeks where everything you do it's coming together, it it's just working, works, yeah. yeah. And you're like, there's another tune, there's another tune, there's another tune. Mm -hmm. The painful bit is knowing when you're done, yeah. And then when you know that you're done, it means that you've finished all the tunes and all the mixes. And when you're not getting someone else to do mixes for you and you may be lacking a bit of confidence, particularly working on your own, it's very easy to go in and just listen to what, you're, what you've done over and over and over again and sort of torture yourself to the mm. point where you're tweaking stuff that no one's ever going to hear. And the, 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 the part where you need to let go of it, that's knowing, knowing when that is, that's the hardest bit. That's the stressful part, particularly when you're working on your own. So how did you motivate yourself to produce during pandemic? Wasn't that? Di I think it was the easiest time to motivate. Really? Yeah. Because yeah, there was nothing else to do, was there? There was no gigs. That's so true, like, yeah. Every Monday, I would wake up generally fresh. Um, it was really nine to five job then. Yeah. Well, yeah. To be fair, to be, I did treat it that way during the pandemic because I moved my studio to the cop. <laughs> during the pandemic, I was living in a one-bedroom flat with my girlfriend, and I moved. I just moved into a studio in March of 2020. So when it hit. And then I moved all my computer and screens and everything back to this coffee table in our one-bedroom flat. Right, so I worked from there for ages, wrote some music there, learned all the animation stuff, recorded a few podcast episodes there. And then obviously that became a bit unmanageable. Yeah. And I bought a car and was just basically commuting to the studio um, every day of the week and then resting on the weekend. But often what I would do on the weekend is torture myself listening to what I'd done in the week over and over and over again. So the separation wasn't quite there. Um, 
So that was so the album writing and finishing process was July 2020 to about July 2021. So over a year, just finishing up. That was well. There was only a couple of tunes that existed before then that were good, that made the cut. Yeah. Um, and also in that time, I wrote the EP for Alex as well. Um, although one of those tunes was done in like January of 2020. Okay. And the rest was all written over lockdown. So would you say that your the the whole pandemic has influenced your sound as a as a producer? Uh, yeah, it has. But I was thinking about this when I was writing all the press stuff for the album. Actually, like um, I'm I've been really aware of how like you, your thought about how it's going to be translated into the world influences what you make. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's obviously changed the sound because we didn't know where the clubs were going to reopen. Exactly, again. yeah. And you couldn't I couldn't write something on a Wednesday, Thursday and then take it to a club and test it Friday. Yeah. So you don't get that feedback loop. Yeah. So you really that, that's where the confidence thing really fucked me up over lockdown because the only all I could do was send music to my peers, right? Yeah. And as much as they might come back and go, this is really good, they don't, they don't care as much as you do. They never will. And, I, and the same in reverse. If they send me something they're really passionate about, I'm never going to care about it as much as they do. It, it was invaluable, really. Like I had 10 people or so who I'd be like sending ideas around to. And it's very different from taking something to a club and getting five, 600 people's opinion, 1,000 people's opinion, as soon as you play the record, you can get an immediate feedback because it's all, it's non-biased, isn't it? They just react to what they're hearing. Exactly, yeah. And Especially they, when it's new then, you get yeah. a very genuine response. And that can help you just be like, okay, that one's done. Yeah. Cheers. But when you don't have that, you can really beat yourself up about mm. whether something is or isn't done. And, and and you don't know whether you can trust when someone says, yeah, I think this is really good. Because like I said, I just, you, you're not sure whether they care enough to be like, exactly. actually, you know what, this isn't that good. Yeah. Or actually, this is really good. So, yeah. But now clubs are open and you play the tunes from your album. What are the responses about? Um, they've been really good. Like, <laughs> univer- yeah, like I'm really um, pleased because obviously they were still written with club in mind. Yeah. Um, in but but also like as songs, I'm I'm really pleased with how they've come together because they're not. The ones that get the reaction aren't necessarily specifically club tunes. Um, and the, the two I've released so far at the point of recording this um, are not really club tunes either. They're like, I mean, you can play them in a club and they work, but they're not made, designed for that. Um, yeah, so it is really nice to take them out and for them to work and go, fuck, I, it was worth it. Like, this, I would still say that, like all that hard work and that toiling and stress and like weeks of frustration you have to go through that I think to really validate the, what you've done yeah have you changed some tunes after playing that? no the album is as it was no I mastered it in I think I mastered it in we did the first run of masters so that all the pre-masters were finished in like May last year mm. yeah so clubs reopened in the UK in July yeah so I had all the masters back at that point I think I went back and changed a couple um, not the, I didn't change the track list though I had that that was fixed the only things that changed were like a couple of mixes that I went back and changed a little bit after taking them to the club um, yeah it is honestly <laughs> it, 
it's like a nice bit of validation when you've really had to work fucking hard to make your mind up that something's done or good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a relief when you hear that the tunes work in the, in, on the dance floor. Yeah, it, it, it's a relief, but also it's hard to overstate and it's really difficult to explain to people, I guess, how over it you are when you finish it because you're course. just like, oh my God, if I never have to look at those <laughs> tunes every time. <laughs> You've heard tune, those tunes probably a thousand times. Because the other thing was, <laughs> I finished the album and then I spent three or four months doing the artwork and that was just the same issue as well. So. Made, Artwork yourself. Yeah. Okay. So every, so it's the same process. You do it, and then you think, I think that's finished, and then you look at it and make tweaks yeah. for days, days and days and days. And like you know, computer crashes, <laughs> file corruptions. You know, it's much more. I'm, I'm less experienced with the design stuff, even though I've you know been a designer of sorts for like years and years. I'm less. Um, I know the DAWs inside out, whereas the design software, You're still learning. I'm quite rudimentary with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I did. So that took me up to the end of last year. And can you take us through the album, um, the tracks, and the atmosphere, and the mm. cooperations, collaborations on the on the album, vocals. What can we expect? What can we expect? Yeah. I'm I'm aware that I don't want to give too much away because of course, I yeah. still there's still like three singles I'm going to do. Um, it's, I would say, I've gone like quite deep in explaining the concept that's going to be, you know, that will come out in the next few months. It's, it can sound a bit grandiose, but essentially it's about, like, I've, <laughs> it's about a parallel between the music I was making, the mindset that I was in during COVID, like I just said about like how that influences the sound, but also about like the nature of reality and like how we all shape and create like I was talking to you in the car about it um, and how powerful music can be in sort of like altering people's experiences mm-hmm. what um, the elements that they can bring to experiencing music and how that relates to like, sort of like COVID in the sense that, that that setting that we would experience music could change or has changed in some way and we don't know really what it's going to look like longer term um and just being aware of all those little elements that into into the interplay between all of them. And obviously, and the other thing was I was super deep into podcasts. So I've got loads of little podcast samples for bits where I'm just like, that's really profound. I'm having that, that's yeah. going there. Um, but musically, it's everything that I think, I'm not saying that universally this is, what, this is true, but it's just what I think, the vibes that I'm missing in drum and bass. And it's very broad in the sound because I think that's always been since I've started like three years ago as workforce it's always been quite broad diverse sounding I don't like rehashing really and if I do if I do a certain type of tune I don't want to make another one like that for yeah. a few months at least it has to be um, innovative in a way it, well just challenging yeah. just keeping things fresh I just get bored really quickly yeah. so I, I don't like writing loads of the same sort of music I like moving it around it just freshens things up um so i don't think there's two tunes on there that sound the same very diverse like right through to quite hard music quite experimental um and obviously musical there's only i mean there's only two collaborations on there. there's two vocalists um one is my partner and another one I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to wait. Um, so th- this album will be self-released, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's on your own label, must make music. Um, what are your goals, goals with the label? Where do you see it in a few years? Mm. Yeah. See, I didn't have any goals with the label. Mm. When I started it, I was just like, I want to do my, I saw it as like how Caliber did with Signature. It was yeah. just like, I want my own platform. I want control over the the, the music and the art. Um, and I don't want to be competing with anyone else's timetable schedule for releasing. I just want, if I want to release a tune then, I can. Um, and then I got introduced to AzzyFM via Jeremy from the Upbeats. He was just like, this guy likes your music. He wants to send you some tunes. He sent them and I was like, this is like so different. It's from, a really good DP. It's like, I just think it's, I think, I think it's really good music, first of all, but second of all, it doesn't really sound like what many other people are doing at the minute. Whereas I feel like there's a lot of people operating in sounds that you couldn't really tell yeah. whether it's XYZ producer. Might be good to mention that AZFM is from New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. That's also of influence, of course, in his sound. For sure. Yeah. And obviously he was still active because nothing really changed there, you know, much. Um, yeah. Can we expect more releases from uh, artists other than you on your on We're your just label? working on another AZFM EP now. Nice. So, you know, we've got a few demos that are sounding pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to be the A&R guy that I would want to, to work be. with. Yeah. yeah. Are you? I, don't, I don't know whether that's necessarily a good thing or a bad because I, I feel like there's a fine balance between hand, between being hands off and hands on. Um, but I've always been quite <laughs> to to my detriment and probably to other people's offence. Sometimes I can be quite blunt. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm working on like going back to him and being like, this one's really good. This one's not so good, and just not not beating around the bush. Yeah. Like I, I always appreciate straight answers, um, so I try and be like that, I guess, with him. But do you, do you run your label on your own, or do you have help? Yeah, just me. Okay. Every, everything's just me. I've got a distributor and an agent, and I use Amy for press and promo. But I've only she did the last Azzy FM EP, and she's doing my album. Other than that, it's just all me. I'm the point of contact for everything. It's quite the task. It's too much. Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, but um, I'm a control freak. You know, when it's hard. Like when you're a control freak and you want to have, uh, like, you have a vision and you want to have control over the details, it's tough to delegate that out to people. Definitely, I've yeah. struggle with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure not, you're not the only one. No, definitely no. Um, and your podcast, um, really a technical angle as mm. producer talking with producer. Uh, I think it's the opposite. Of technical, yeah, I think it's for me as a non-producer. Okay, it turns into too technical. Okay, um, so do you do you? What, what's your goal with the podcast? Do you want to teach and inform uh, young producers? I think uh, the goals of it have only really become clear since I've started doing it. So I think the ultimate goal is that is to shine a light on sort of the artistry in scenes and genres of music don't generally get too much attention in terms of um, the value of the art within it and the value of the craft. Um, as a secondary part of that, it tends to, the feedback that I get and the messages that I get from people are usually that they're pleased to hear that their idols or people that they look up to or whose music they love also struggle yeah. <laughs> with creative process. Yeah, that's what I've heard from friends who listen to the podcast. And ultimately, I think all you, what you tend to see 
as a consumer of music is all the best stuff, all the, you know, all the, the triumphs, right? All the mm. stuff that's gone yeah. well. You don't see the days of nothing happening or the days where you can't get that thing to sound right or you can't quite um, bring an idea that you've got in your head to life. So I think, I think, yeah, that's the main, that's one of the main things really is, and it's been something that I've become really aware of, particularly with the feedback that I get is just normalizing process and and trying to make it clear to people that it isn't all easy and that it, that, it, that these people, <laughs> without wanting to take anything away from any of the guests that I've had, they're not like, they're, they're talented people, but ultimately there's a lot of process and effort that goes in yep. behind it that makes that happen. So when someone's sat there and, and it's not happening for them, it's to not give up at that point because ultimately the people that you see doing what you want to do, they didn't give up at that point, so they just kept going. What's your biggest takeaway from all the podcasts you've done so far? Um, that one of the biggest issues that most creative people face is that they just get in their own way. Yeah. In the sense of what, like within the context of what we were just talking about with the album, it's real. I, I can realize now, looking back, that all of that hard time where it was difficult to realize that it was done was lack of confidence in it so you create issues you start going oh well, that mix needs to change or that tune needs to change there or and it serves a purpose but only to a certain point yeah and at a certain point you're just getting in your own way and it's and you're just scared and that you need to just be like this is done it's coming out is do you see for yourself a role in guiding talents uh, or your label as a platform for talents because you're now 35 35 on monday uh, you're um, <laughs> Experience, you've done it all, the good things and the bad things, the glory and uh, yeah. Um, I, where I'm spread quite thin, like what we just said about like having doing everything. I do like the idea that I, I do think I have something that I can pass on and help people with, uh, and give it, give advice to a point. Um, I'm not great at managing people, so. It would. I'd need some infrastructure built around it if I was to do a label proper. But it was quite easy dealing with Aiden as FM because it's just one person. You know, it's, it's kind of, and and he didn't need much because he was. So one on one, it's yeah, it's easy, easy-ish. But then when, I, I think when you get into a level of like one release a month, yeah. like uh, 985 North Quarter labels like this, um, they they require infrastructure because doing one a month is just. It's a lot, and, and and I think I'm quite indulgent in the sense that I wouldn't necessarily want to, but give that much of my time. I'd almost prefer to be working on what I'm doing. But that said, I feel like I can do it with the podcast, and then it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be interactive so much. Yeah, it's, it's interactive to a degree, but also I feel like I can do that on my own terms without. I'm not, I'm not the biggest people person on earth, right? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, the podcast it can be just done on my terms and like without without having to be too contrived or like have any difficult conversations. They're just easy conversations you put into the world. So I've, I I reckon you're not done with the podcast yet. No, um, and anybody listening to this who's a fan of the podcast, apologies for the lack of episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just finishing that album. I did the Tim Reaper episode. I think April last year, and that's when things really kicked off. So, um, all things were really coming to a head at that point in terms of finishing the record. Um, yeah, but I've, like I'm constantly thinking about it, and I'm constantly 
I've got a, a, a short list of, of names that is quite long and uh, all the people on it are interested in being involved. I just need to dedicate some time to doing it, which will happen soon, I hope. Okay. And then um, I think we're ready for the last question. Uh, yeah, of, uh, of this podcast. Um, so you've got one last chance to make an album. Okay. And you can work with anybody you, you want to work with, dead or alive, a vocalist, uh, whatever. Singers, mm-hmm. drummers, singers, drummers, bassists. Uh, so can I, players, so I can, basically, uh, can I put a band together? You can yeah, put yeah, a band yeah, yeah. together. Okay, that's probably the best way to think about it. Okay, so I would... Dead or alive. Okay, dead or alive. So drummer, I would say Questlove, but I've got another choice coming up that means that I can't pick him because it would just be too much like another band. So I would say Richard Spaven on the drums. Got to rep the British drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, Pino Palladino on the bass. Played like on some massive records. Played on D'Angelo's Voodoo. Um, Thundercat. On bass. Yeah. Is he bass or is he, is he a guitarist? Yeah, he's, he just plays. Yeah, I'd probably have him on guitar. Really good choice. Hendrix on, ryth- Hendrix on rhythm guitar. Make it as big as you'd like. <laughs> Make it an orchestra okay. if you want. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit, this is really Would tough. Would dad play in the in, in Yeah, bands? percussion, sure. Yeah? yeah, he could play percussion. Um, singers. Singers would be... The lead singer from Little Dragon, whose name escapes me. I can't remember uh, her name. Yeah, the, um, it's a Japanese yeah, name. Yeah, she's amazing. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Marta, check your laptop, please. I will, I will. <laughs> All right, so we're going to have like loads of... Can we just have like a band that has loads of different singers that comes in? So I have D'Angelo, Anderson Pack. Um, Yuki Minagano. That's yeah. it. Really Anderson like? Pack is nice. On yeah. drums or vocals? James Blake. Uh, okay, so like doing all the like backing production, James Blake, Flying Lotus, um, remixes from... No. Um, who else? What else do we need? Tom York? I've never... I've never got... Radiohead. No? No. I know like friends of mine just love Ray. I've never got it. But then I, maybe I need to give it a chance. I've never really... No, okay. No, but this is your band. It's not my band. Yeah. So no Tom York? But it's, t- it's tough because like my favourite artists aren't wouldn't fit in a band like Burial and um, Flying Lotus. And... doesn't need to be a band. It's just Could you make be. you make an album. Okay. So and, make, and, okay and, then, make, and then it's, yeah, it's sure. done. You don't, you don't okay. perform with, okay. with the band. So I'm basically, you're because, basically, yeah, I, they're, I they're just list, well. off, list off people that I'd like to collaborate with yeah. on a record. Okay, cool. I, I could sit here for ages. Um, the Streets. Um, what's his name? Did um, Neil, <laughs> that American singer, massive guy. What's his fucking name? Neil Young. Uh, I mean, yeah. yes, yeah. but not him. Okay. Oh, no, uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd have him on there. I listened to a podcast where Questlove was talking about him, and apparently he's incredible. Uh, Bonnie Vare. Yep. Um, I'm really shit at remembering. It's, it's, it's a guy's band. Where are all the ladies? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like Erica Badu. Okay. Uh, Jill Scott. Um, Tank and the Bangers. Have oh, you heard yeah. of them? Yeah. They're amazing. Um, I'm just listing off people I really like. Now. <laughs> it's be a it's a, bi- it's a big and expensive <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah. So oh, you've got Hendrix, also dead people. So you've got Hendrix. Yeah, probably have some more. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Um, 
So what what kind of genre? What? Everything. Yeah. I like everything. It's bought, I, I don't understand people who listen to only one sort of music. Yeah, I don't understand it No yeah. drum and bass or. Oh. We've got Richard Spaven, so maybe. I've got this vision of doing like because the workforce sound is quite drum heavy, right? I've got mm. this vision of doing a record where I collaborate collaborate with different drummers. And I might do it. Just do it, yeah. I don't know whether I don't know because the people I want to, I would want to work with might not be attainable, like Spaven. Might no? not be possible. It might not be possible to make that work. But I have. I don't got, know him personally. No, no. Maybe, I, I went uh, to see him at the jazz cafe and I messaged. I like, you know, I, I like tagged him in my Instagram story, and he like responded with like a little like. Mm. No. <laughs> um, uh, that was a thumbs up. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not just like a boot sound. Um, women though yeah you're right I'm, I'm, I'm admitting Jill Scott's a big one Erica Badu uh, Lauren Hill huge for me when I was a kid I used to listen to that my dad used to have that on all the time um, Gloria Estefan Estefan yeah. yeah random one right yes that's um, incredible <laughs> <laughs> uh, who do I really like at the moment there's that girl that's just done a song with Getz and it's fucking amazing. I can't remember what it's called. So, and and the name of the the oh band or the project? God, that's so difficult. Jack's Dream Project. It's like the Stevens Hundred instead of the Jackson Five. <laughs> um, God, I, like I said to you before, to get to the workforce name, I had a list of words, probably two, three hundred words in a text doc on my phone. Yeah. I feel it's funny with names because they don't take on any meaning until you put it to something. Yeah, definitely. So you could literally call yourself anything. Before that, they're just words. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so you could call it anything. Anything. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. I, I I gravitate to words that look nice as well. That's the other thing because I studied typography at university. I, I tend to. That's why I pick workforce and must make because when I type them out, they look. They've got nice letter forms. Hmm. So it's not just like. It's how they sound, how they roll off the tongue, and what they look like. They have a good, have a good game. You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcasts.